Thank you so much for coming. Um, I know we were going to have breakfast. And I know some people already have joked with us that uh, they were really looking forward to our chick Chick-fil-A chicken minis. Uh, we want to be careful. So we're just being a little cautious this morning uh, on a really uh, important topic. I've known Mark Ryan or Reverend Dr. Mark Ryan for many years. We call him Mark. Uh, my, it was a blessing for me when I began full-time ministry to actually work alongside Mark and to be able to gain a lot of wisdom and practice what ministry looks like and especially the heart of ministry when it comes to engaging culture. As we think about those outside the church, uh, Mark has been really influential in my life to where I am today. Uh, he's also been very influential in this topic of deconstruction. He, uh, as he said earlier this morning to me, he's been studying this for quite some time, even before this became popular. And so he has a wealth of wisdom and knowledge for us to be able to really learn and take in and be able to ask questions. So this morning, we're glad you're here. We're going to break it up into three sections. There'll be session one, which will be going for about 45 minutes. We'll take a little break. Then he'll do session two. And then for session three will be the Q&A. This, this seminar is going to actually be recorded. But depending on, you know, sensitivity uh, regards to the Q&A section, we might pull out the Q&A section so that that won't be recorded and that you'll have the freedom to be able to ask questions and make this a safe place for us to be able to really share, learn, and grow together. So with that, let's invite Mark Ryan up and give him a warm welcome. Take these off. It's, it's hard enough to have an Australian accent, let alone to have an accent through two masks. But I'm, I'm double-vaxxed, I'm boosted, I'm whatever I'm meant to be doing, all of that. Um, it's a real delight to be back uh, with you at Restoration Church. It's a uh, uh, it really is sweet to see so many familiar faces and to have opportunity to join you this morning. Thank you for coming out. Boy, what a tough Saturday morning. It's cold. We're still barely over holidays and we're still going with pandemic and yet here you are. Uh, so thank you. I don't take that for granted that you would give up time and come out. Um, as Dan mentioned, the plan this morning um, is three sessions, roughly 40, 45 minutes each. I'll do my best to stick to that. Um, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And what I want to do is take these first two talks and break them up uh, this way. I think both will, I hope and trust, both will help us understand uh, the phenomena of deconstruction, deconversion. That's why we're here. Um, but I want to get at it the long way round. Um, rather than just saying, here's the problem or here's what's going on, I want to step back and look culturally at some trends that really feed and give rise to what many of us are aware of and experiencing. So I'm going to talk about some cultural shifts. This is really going to be us flying at 30,000 feet. Okay, That might be the hardest part of the morning in one sense, although I'll, I'll do my best. Second... Uh, we're going to come down to street level where we actually live and we're going to get really concrete. I'm going to answer just four very concrete questions. And then we've got this lovely third session where it's just really over to you. We can talk together, uh, report together from our experiences, share together, weep together if need be, answer questions along the way. So that's, that's the plan this morning. Uh, but with that uh, in mind, let me pray. And then we'll, we'll dive into things. Would you pray with me? God, our Father, we greet you this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that through him we have uh, access into your presence. We have uh, our adoption as daughters and sons. We have the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we inherit so much as we come to you this morning. And from that place of knowing you in and through the gospel... We pray that you would strengthen us and help us. And we think, many of us think, of friends who once professed that same gospel, but now question it or have even put it to one side. And so as we come and as we talk about deconstruction, deconversion, we do so not just abstractly, not just to understand a cultural phenomenon, but actually asking that you would help us 
to be your hands and feet, that we would be more capable friends, uh, family members, work colleagues, that we would be able to help those who are caught in the thrall of doubt. Father, help us this morning, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, with that said, uh, my, my sense is that this morning what's brought us uh, out of our homes, out of our beds, into the, uh, into the cold, is the simple recognition that we know we are living in a time of profound change. That we have friends, uh, family members, others, who once journeyed with us on the pathway of faith and now are hesitant, resistant, or simply absent. I I think many of us around this topic have a sense that something uh, quite significant is afoot. And we want to understand what's going on. What is this cultural change? Why is it that so many people, apparently, that so many people are struggling with Christian faith at this time? Back of that, what is it? What are the conditions that seem to make that struggle shared? What are the conditions Uh, that make that struggle so easy to enter into and hanging on to faith so difficult. I think it's fair to say, I'll say it for myself, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's really difficult to be a Christian at this moment of time. We feel that, even as a professing believer, even as somebody who teaches the Bible and and helps people think through the questions of life, right? it's not simple or straightforward. We all feel the crosswinds of cultural change. So what I want to do in this first talk is examine why it is that I think so many are departing why it is that so many are leaving the church, abandoning uh, Christian faith? I think many of us are asking that question. Now, some of us at least are asking that question privately and quietly in our homes, in our prayers before the Lord. Many of us have been drawn to this because the question is also being asked publicly. You can't read a newspaper headline, a blog post headline. You can't read a a report from your favourite Christian periodical without having this issue of deconstruction, deconversion thrust uh, into your faith. It's not just us in the room asking what's going on. This is a culture-wide discussion. Uh, Let me give you some headlines that I've been tracking with. I call these the, uh, the headlines of doom. All right. Uh, Runs like this. I'm just being selective. There's plenty to choose from. Uh, But in 2015, Pew Research, uh, he was the headline of a very significant report. Christians declined sharply as share of the population, unaffiliated and other faiths grow. So six, seven years ago, they're announcing this on the back of a multi-year study. And they say this change is taking place across the religious landscape. Yes, it's particularly pronounced amongst millennials and younger generations. But actually, this trend of leaving congregation, leaving behind Christian faith, is occurring amongst Americans of all ages, white, black, Latino, college graduates, those without high school education, women as men. So Pew uh, is seeing the trend. In 2016, uh, the Christian Post has this headline, four in ten millennials are religiously unaffiliated. Number one reason for leaving the faith, they no longer believe Christian teaching. So 25% of the American population uh, is now religiously unaffiliated in 2016, And the Christian Post said we've basically given up believing the body of doctrine. 2019, uh, our our cousins over uh, in the Southern Baptist tradition, uh, 
they have this headline. Only half of kids raised in Southern Baptist churches stay Southern Baptist. Now, you and I may know uh, that for very many, many years, for many, many decades, the Southern Baptist Church was the largest Protestant denomination in North America. Uh, in 1987, one in ten Americans identified with the Southern Baptist Church. That is down now to one in 20. It's halved in a decade. Uh, some of us here are in the PCA. We really don't have reason to be proud here. Uh, we are statistically growing by about 1% or 2%. Growth is better than decline, I grant you. But we're not experiencing conversion growth. This is transfer growth. More than that, we're failing to reach our non college graduates, we're failing to meet working class people, we're failing to meet many of the immigrant communities that now take up residence in North American life. In fact, a denominational study reports that 60% of churches uh, have plateaued or declined in the PCA. We're not doing great either. Uh, in spring of 2021, Gallup reports that church membership falls below the majority for the first time. After eight decades of studying the Christian landscape, uh, the Christian, Christian church attendance has dropped to 47%. U.S. membership was 73% in 1937 when Gallup began to study. Uh, now uh, it is down to 47%, a huge drop. Uh, the Wall Street Journal, uh, about eight months ago, had this report. Young people say disconnection keeps them from the church. Half of all people between 13 and 25 surveyed said they were out of sync with their place of worship and would plan not to continue their affiliation. Now, these statistics started to breed even more impressive headlines like the New York Times did a special feature, The Decline of Evangelical America. The Atlantic talks about how America lost its religion. Later, it would report on the epidemic of empty churches. Uh, the Week asked this question, is Christianity in America doomed? The National Review, can America survive as a post-Christian nation? You get the picture. It's not just an in-house conversation. This has become a very public discussion. People are identifying something has gone wrong. Lots of people are leaving. The church is hemorrhaging members. What's going on? What's back of this? Are people flocking to other non-Christian religions? Not really. Uh, is it that millennials have simply stopped believing the body of Christian teachings? That's not what they report. Uh, is it that folks feel disconnected because of age cohorts or political affiliation or churches taking sides in the culture war? That really isn't statistically uh, a big deal. Yes, in a limited way, they are all features of our time. They appear in the conversation, but no, these are not the causes. These are symptoms rather than causes. These answers just don't cut deep enough. They don't explain what's going on. And so I would invite you this morning, if you're willing, to board the plane with me cruising at an altitude of roughly 30,000 feet. And what that will do for us is while we won't see a lot of the detail, we'll begin to orient ourselves to some major features, some major cultural shifts that I think shed light on what's really going on. I'm going to try and do this briefly, simply. So I'm going to highlight two cultural shifts which I think lay at the root of things. I'm going to label these the overhang of modernity 
and the overbite of post-modernity, the overhang of modernity, the overbite of post-modernity. And once we've looked at those two things, I'm going to look at the key result that comes out of that cultural shift, and I'm going to talk about a collapsed cultural centre. Worried already, we do have a third session for Q&A, so you'll have plenty of chance to push back. So the overhang of modernity. Now, by modernity, I have in mind that roughly 350-year period of time that ran from the 17th century up until the middle or late 20th century. Uh, as many have pointed out who study this period of time, the cultural story, the story that was shared by believer and unbeliever alike was the story of progress. Things are getting better. Uh, this story of progress held up humans as the culmination of the story. We were the most evolved of the species. We were the most developed uh, 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 organisms on the planet, and we were using our collective uh, understanding, our education, uh, our technological advancements to make for ourselves a better and better and better existence. In this period of time, the Enlightenment the Industrial Revolution, the Scientific Revolution, the Sexual Revolution, all of these cultural moments belong to this period of time. And what they share is a commitment to the tools of human reason and the gains of the scientific method and the achievements of technological power to make us increasingly free to give to us the ability to live largely as we please. There was a cultural trajectory of improvement and of self-improvement. Now, we're still in the grip of this epoch of time. That's why I talk about the overhang of modernity. Despite what you've heard, modernity hasn't just gone away. It didn't evaporate into the ether. Modernity has not ceased to operate, and we know that because its key assumptions are still with us, particularly uh, for folks who are over 40 or 50. You see this markedly, but all of us continue to share in the basic assumptions of modernity. For example, modernity gave to us the eclipse or the obscuring of the supernatural in favour of the natural, the this-worldly, the secular. That's still with us. Folks are a little bit more open to the miraculous, but for the most part, it's still extraordinary, and we tend to scrutinise such claims. They're not natural to us. Uh, we also have this casting off of submission to church authority, to Christian tradition, in favour of a quest for personal truth. We prefer knowledge that is derived by observation, experience, reflection, rather than knowledge that is handed down by a figure or source of authority. That hasn't gone away. We also, I think, still have this very modern sense of a better future. Some of that's beginning to be blunted. But for the most part, we're still oriented towards the future rather than to a valuing of and a learning from the past. It's the future that dominates our thinking, our imagining, rather than the past that requires our attention. Now, we could go on. There are many features of modernity. But here's the one key feature I do want to put in front of you this morning. The most important feature of modernity is what we might call the redefining of religion in relation to Western culture. Now, I need to pause here for a moment and say, when I talk about Western culture, uh, I'm not doing that as somebody mired in a kind of a Western uh, ethnocentric. Um, I have a fairly good background of other global cultures and civilizations. I have a, my undergrads in history. Um, but as we sit in this place, here in St. Louis, 
North America at this particular time, each of us, regardless of where we've originated from, have inherited what Western culture has bequeathed to us. So it's not that Western culture is the only game in town. Not that Western culture is the best culture, the right culture. Not true. But because we live in bodies and because we're localised and instantiated, we are the inheritors of particular culture. And for us to grapple with what's going on in our culture right now, we have to attend to the roots of Western culture. So I offer that caveat. As we think about Western culture and the redefining of religion, we have recognised that coming off of that period of medievalism, Christianity was in fact a central and powerful cultural force from about the 4th century right up until the 17th when modernity became highly critical of Christianity and over time began to banish Christianity to the margins of cultural life. To compress a great deal, modernity has led to marginality. The posture, the process of the modern period was to marginalise the church, to treat it as largely insignificant and certainly as peripheral. That, I think, is what many of us feel in our own day. That process continues. But in short, we in North America have come to the end of a long and deeply entrenched form of the church and its relationship to culture. The centre place that the church once held, which included, by the way, the broader culture's support and assistance for maintaining disciples and even making new disciples, right? It wasn't that long ago that culturally evangelism was supported. It was seen as a good thing, an understandable thing, a necessary thing. It wasn't that long ago that various uh, Western countries and programs would support Christian morality, Christian discipleship, right? Today... That has shifted. The centre place that Christianity held is no longer there. There are those in the pockets of our culture who continue to profess and support the vestiges of that kind of arrangement. There are some who want to take the country back and bring Christianity back, right? We hear that from time to time. But for the most part marginalization has become the defining reality. For the most part, the Christian church is this adjunct thing over here to one side. This marginalization was incredibly effective, effective in the sense that Christianity is culturally marginal, that Christianity has become largely reduced to the private sphere and effective in the sense that many of us are just waking up to realise what actually happened this last century and a half or more. The gradual switch that modernity has foisted upon us has been to displace God, to discredit faith, to dispossess the church of its settled place within the culture. Some pushed back against this downplaying, but many made peace with modernity and its manoeuvring of the church from centre to periphery. For a short season, some churches seemed to flourish under this arrangement, at least up until the period of the two world wars and the Great Depression. Put a little more starkly, the point I'm making, for all of our battling for the Bible, for all of our taking a stand over right theology and Christian distinctives, the church nonetheless pretty much fell into line with the culture and its expectations at large. We became the chaplain 
to an increasingly secular society. For the most part, we accepted the privatization of Christian religion. Internally, amongst ourselves, we vigorously debated all kinds of things, right? Uh, The nature of spiritual gifts, denominational polity, uh, who should get baptized, how old they should be, and what mode we should use. All of these debates animated the life of many churches, but externally, we lost our public dimension. We were turned into one more subculture, And we took up our assigned place. And if we're honest, we slid into the materialistic, prestige-oriented, secular values of the modern age. Here's the synopsis. Medieval period, picture the church center and the culture gathered and developing around it. What did modernity do? The coming of modernity church and moved it from the center out to the periphery and culture went on its merry way developing and growing without a lot of input from the church that's the overhang of modernity there's also the overbite of post-modernity you've probably heard a lot more about post-modernity so i can say a little less but I'm basically referencing here the last 40 to 60 years. There's a huge debate over when post-modernity began. I don't know that we need to go there. Um, But if we think in round numbers, this last generation, generation and a half, and in contrast with the cultural outlook of modernity, which was progress, the cultural outlook of post-modernity has become near pessimism. The spirit of our age, the spirit of our time, is to second-guess the optimism of modernity, to chastise, to scrutinise the sure claims of the modern period. And if I can lift out once again one central feature, I want to draw our attention to what I will call the loss of a center. If the first characteristic of our moment in time is awakening to our place on the margins of culture, the second is discovering the breakdown of any meaningful center and the rush of pluralism to fill the gap. Modernity successfully shifted Christianity to the cultural margin. But modernity has had nothing of lasting substance that can hold the center ground. Reflecting on this, uh, Middleton and Walsh, two well-known authors, uh, offer us this quote. I think it's helpful. In such a context, the very normative ground on which one stands is shaken. The old answers, the old stories are no longer convincing. The disorientation is intensified by the fact that there is not just one move going on. There is not just one reality being constructed and offered to us. Unlike classic theatre, in which one show is playing out, postmodern culture is more like the carnival with a never-ending array of sideshows. There's no centre to this production. Uh, Another uh, cultural commentator, Alan Roxburgh, strikes a similar note. The long-established period of moral, political and religious life, all largely provided by Christianity, were carried over into modernity but radically reshaped, changed in terms of their content. Christian orthodoxy was challenged. The church was pushed to the periphery. But all the while, the notion of a stable center within a culture was dissolving. Put in the language of post-modernity, there are no longer any grand theories of the whole, no meta-narratives, 
that are accepted or treated as one being better, uh, more preferable than the other. They're all collections of context, value-bound positions. There's no consensus as to meaning and purpose, value and direction. And without this, there can be no centre. What is absent is any sacred or secular centre. We are faced instead with a plurality of values and ends, competing with each other in a free market of belief. This is the new situation. Now, a lot was said. Here's the two things we want to grasp from those quotes. First, postmodernity suffers from a nasty overbite. It's misaligned. It claimed too much, right? Modernity failed to hold the centre, producing this misalignment which postmodernity now suffers from. Stated differently, what we're talking about is a double shift. It's not simply the case that Christianity has been moved from centre to margin, but as the centre collapses, so it pulls all of us back in towards the middle. There's a dynamic of the church now being drawn back in to a more direct uh, dialogue, a more distressing, urgent relationship with a culture that had rejected it. In other words, the centre-periphery language is rather obsolete. What we're left navigating is a collapsed centre, filled by a cacophony of voices, confusing, relativizing, sometimes spiritually friendly, sometimes not, a set of choices and competing options that we're all left to sort out for ourselves. This is the double shift that we're moving through. This is the experience that many of us have. It's the, if we, you know, the, it's the splinter in the mind, if you will, uh, that keeps us second-guessing what it is. It's a moment of flux, of profound instability, as Christianity is pulled back into discussions that it was once dismissed from, as Christianity is not at the head of the table, but does again have a place at the table. It's that feeling of biblical Christianity being found out and tried wanting. Sure, you can have a voice. Sure, you're one perspective amongst many, but very quickly dismissed and put to the side. Here's another interesting piece. It's not just us as the people of God who are having to navigate this change cultural arrangement. The double shift impacts and affects Christians and modern postmodern culture at large. We're all experiencing the same crisis. Our tendency is to think that when one is doing well, when the church is ascendant, you know, that the culture's struggling, or if the culture is ascendant, the church is struggling, right? One is doing well, the other's in decline. Actually, both are struggling. Both are navigating a strange, shifting culture. Our non-Christian friends are just as confused as you and I are. Our non-Christian friends are caught in the web of deconstruction just as much as many of us are. This is not an us-against-them story. This is all of us being drawn in to this strange cultural unfolding. Now, not to lose sight of the, the forest for the trees, here's the most fundamental point. Both Christian faith and contemporary society are being forced to navigate this collapsed center. As modernity continues to decline, as our collective former certainties are laid bare, as post-modernity questions all kinds of universal claims, all kinds of stories, so there is no hope to empower any of us, the center cannot hold for any of us. Like Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee, drawn into the battle of Middle Earth, 
Uh, or if you've been watching Crash Landing on you, like Captain Lee and Sun Yuri, who've drawn in uh, his whole uh, platoon into uh, South Korea to navigate the shift in culture, right? Um, by helping one person, right, they're now caught in this much larger cultural clash. That's our situation right now as Christians and as non-Christians alike. We're all caught in the double shift. We're all navigating our place. We're all renegotiating our status, our values, even our sense of self. Whatever you make of the movie illustrations or my description, what we want to take away is this idea is that deconversion, deconstruction is occurring primarily because of these tectonic shifts underneath us. We're all living in the context of a collapsed center. We're all feeling the pinch of radical pluralism. We're all navigating multiple values and voices, each one shouting to be heard, clamoring for our attention, making demands on our allegiance. And we're doing that less tethered to institutions, including the church. We're doing this deeply indebted to notions of freedom from authority and the pursuit of personal authenticity. We're all caught up in these things. It's a profound time to be alive. There's a massive rewriting of how we live together as a society, as a people. The church and the wider culture are drawn in involuntarily to this conversation, renegotiating what our role is, what our values are, how we live together, how we promote faith, or how we live in a culture that's rejected faith. Look at time. Someone's going to wave at me when it's time, I hope. I've got about 15 minutes, I think. Is that right, or am I done? No? Good, good. We want to drop from 30,000 to 20,000. Just to look a little bit more at some of the features. What I want to offer now is kind of a, uh, what's it like to live in a collapse centre? What's going on in that collapse centre that feeds and fuels the phenomena of deconversion? We could say a lot here. We could just, quite frankly, go crazy. There's an awful lot of research. I just want to pull out a couple of lenses to look at. I want to give us just, I want to focus on a few of the tiles that form the mosaic of life at this time. Uh, the first thing we notice is that in the climate we live in, belief is an embattled option. No one just believes. We all believe in the face of competing beliefs, right? It takes work to believe. We've never been so self-conscious about our beliefs because we all know when we go to work on Monday morning, our colleagues in the cubicle or across to the business desk or on the factory floor, they believe differently. This is the work of Charles Taylor, right? Uh, he wrote a, a fantastically big book looking on the conditions of belief, asking the question, what is it that makes a set of beliefs plausible? What is it that makes a set of beliefs meaningful in any given time? And the nutshell version of Taylor's 900 plus pages is that he sees that for those of us living in the West, that once upon a time, it was almost impossible not to believe in Christianity. It was reinforced by the culture. It was supported by the institutions of that culture. It was visible in the architecture and the artistry of that culture. Everything lent value and support to the Christian position. Fast forward, that is no longer true. And thus, it is super easy to jettison faith. We live in a world in which there's very little support externally to be a Christian. Christianity as a social force is weakened and largely unsupported. What that means practically is that as you or I or our loved ones or our friends begin to doubt, begin to experience deconstruction, is that the broader culture is applauding. Well done, 
You've come to your senses. Well done. You've grown up. You're standing on your own two feet. We don't need that authority. We don't need that tradition. We don't need that community. Well done. You're thinking for yourself. You've seen through the lies. You've seen through the weak crutch that Christianity is. Well done, you good and faithful and rational person. So one of the cultural mosaics, one of the shifts is that the culture that used to support Christianity is now uh, calling us out from our church buildings, out from our community groups, out from behind the walls of faith. Here's another area, another tile in the mosaic of life in the centre. This is the work of another sociologist, Joseph Bodum. Uh, he says that morals have now become severed from their Christian framework. And in fact, our morals as a culture are not just severed from the Christian framework, but they're set against it. Uh, you may have heard of the image of a cut flower society. Um, that image, if anyone's got a rose bush or a hibiscus or azalea, whatever, you, whatever your preference in your front garden, right? we all know that if we leave the flower on the bush... It will last for quite a while and it will replenish and it will come again next year, right? We also know if we take the flower and cut it from the bush, we get to bring it inside for about six to eight days and it will not replenish and it will not come back again next year. Why? It's severed from its roots, right? Bodum says that's us. We've inherited a set of moral values deeply indebted to Christianity. But we've severed them from their Christian roots. And so they're withering, they're fading, they can't last. And not only that, he says, not only have we severed them from their roots, but what's left, we now set against Christianity. So the love ethic of Christianity is now turned against us. Love is love. You can't draw lines. You can't make determinations about relationship status. Right? Uh, the Christian ethic of hard work. Right? Don't go to church on Sunday. Don't give up time. Work more. Provide for yourself. Provide for your family. The remnants of the Christian ethic, in so many ways, are now being stripped from Christianity and turned back on Christianity. It's a hugely morally confusing time. Uh, Joseph Bodum, I won't get into this, but basically argues that the phenomena of virtue signaling is what happens when a culture adopts the values of a prior generation apart from the meaning system of that generation. I show you what a good and virtuous man I am by standing against these other things. Regardless, we're seeing a breakdown in morality, not of the kind we commonly think. We're not actually an amoral culture. Our morals are those of a previous generation of Christianity, but now being turned against us. And then, of course, we have the prevalence of pseudo-Christianities. This is the work of a Catholic uh, journalist, Ross Douthart. He wrote a book called Bad Religion. It's a really important book, I think. He accurately uh, understands that when people leave church... They don't always stop being Christian and they don't entirely give up their Christian framework or, or doctrinal content. Rather, what happens is we get the multiplication of personal forms of Christianity. He says, when churches lose members, those members who were once sympathetic to Christian ideals often become hostile or indifferent, but only incrementally and not with any systematic consistency. Rather, what happens is they modify the core teachings of the faith. They begin to adapt their faith to more easily align with the culture. We now have multiple 
pseudo-Christianities in North America. The argument is not that where religion has gone away, is that we're awash in bad religion. We're awash in forms of Christianity that are far removed from the governance, the teaching, the authority of Scripture. You can now say you're a Christian and believe almost anything. You can now say you're a Christian and behave almost any way you please. And who are you or I to question that? We're awash in bad religion. And that's incredibly confusing. Not surprisingly, when we bring to pull these things together, we also begin to see a preference for intuition and internet over institutions. I'm just going to quote a woman, Tara Isabella Burton, another journalist, but a brilliant book. Um, She says, we do not live in a godless world. That is not what's happening. Rather, we live in a profoundly anti-institutional one, where the proliferation of internet creative culture and consumer capitalism have rendered us simultaneously parishioner, high priest, and deity. America is not secular, it's deeply self-focused. We have crafted for ourselves, she says, a religion of emotive intuition, of commodified experience, of self-creation and self-improvement, and yes, of selfies too. We have a new religion for a new generation of Americans who've been raised to think of themselves as capitalist consumers and content curators. We have religion decoupled from institutions, decoupled from creeds, decoupled from metaphysical truth claims. People still seek the fruits of religion. They still want a faith that provides the pillars of what religion has always provided, meaning, purpose, community, and ritual. But we now do that away from the church and away from an authoritative body of teaching. What's the net result of all of that? Increasingly, as surveys are conducted amongst people who've left and have been left of the Christian faith for many years, The net result is profound isolation and deep loneliness. As a culture, we now talk about deaths of despair. I don't know if you've heard that that language or that concept. But we now have uh, a declining longevity expectancy in North America, led primarily uh, by people who are uh, succumbed to opioids, gun violence, suicide, Life expectancy has gone down. Uh, in fact, these other deaths by these other means outpace deaths by lung cancer, stroke, and car crashes. We're killing ourselves through our choices, our behaviours, through our giving up on life, the lack of meaning, purpose, and identity we can curate for ourselves. Here, the language of unbundling. If you sign up for Charter or Spectrum or whomever, they want to bundle everything, right? There is now the phenomena of unbundling, right? Um, In the newspaper world, as we move to the internet, 50 years ago, think about it, uh, the newspapers provided not just your news, right, uh, but there were the classifieds, there were the personal ads, there were the letters to the editor, there was your crossword puzzle, your Sudoku, Um, There was actual news, there was weather, there was sports statistics. All those things were bundled together in that awkward newspaper. Today, right, the newspaper is basically obsolete. All those features have been unbundled. Craigslist, Tinder, Facebook, HQ Trivia, Cable News, all of the multiple platforms we have have separated these pieces out and invested heavily in one or the other of them, and they make them compete. The end result is that each user can build for themselves from among these platforms whatever service uh, they need. Take that concept, apply it to the church. The church provided a set of bundled services. 
There was community. There was ritual. There was meaning. There was counsel. There was support. There were the bookends of life, the baptism, the burial. It was the place to get married. It was the place to remember loved ones. It was the place to come together to grieve or to celebrate. It was the place to learn to grow. Church has become unbundled in our time. All of those services have been separated out, been taken up by the the broader culture, and are being set against one another. Only 40% of people who describe themselves as spiritual or religious said that they ever turned towards an institution in a time of need. I remember looking back one year into COVID, so back a little while, one year into COVID, only 16% of people who self-described as spiritual and religious said they ever turned to somebody in their community. Only 10% said that a pastor or a church leader had ever reached out to them. In other words, institutional Christianity is useless, paper thin, not functioning for many of these individuals. And as we've become isolated, so we've also become insecure. It's nice to write in your gratitude journal It's cool to pray and whisper a prayer to God in the shower. But are you doing it right? Are you heard? There's the nagging questions of, does this matter? This is disconnected from everyone else. With no collective place to share our sorrows, our deep feelings and so on, so the remnants of faith begin to feel illegitimate. I may as well just burn sage as much as pray. I may as well just get my future read in the tarot cards as much as the five-minute devotion. I've said a lot. The cultural background's important. Our current phenomena of deconversion, deconstruction, didn't happen last Wednesday. It didn't start last month or last year. It's not the result of one particular trend in a survey poll. It's the cumulative result of a 350-year set of shifts. The tectonic plates beneath our feet are moving still, and that is generating a profound insecurity that we're all navigating. I'm going to stop there and then give you all a break. And then we'll come back and drill down and actually talk about deconversion, deconstruction.